Beirut changed my, the first trip to Beirut changed, I think, all of our attitudes about, first of all, it changed my attitude about the world. It was a very embittering, angering experience that I really didn't know how to process. My immediate feeling when I came out of it was, we are not making a show out of this. Welcome to Friends of Anthony Bourdain. I'm Emily Fedner, a former line cook, pasta pop-up owner, and the creator behind Food Lover's Diary. And I'm Fabrizio Villapondo, also known as The Moody Foodie. I'm a former waiter turned food-obsessed home cook and recipe developer. You might be familiar with the Friends of Bourdain Instagram and TikTok account. That was started by our producer as a way of keeping Bourdain's legacy alive. So this is about you, his fans. We want to continue the conversations about Tony's travels. So that's why we started this podcast, actually, as fans ourselves who are inspired by Bourdain. And each week we get to return to parts unknown or parts now known. We'll reconnect with the friends Anthony Bourdain traveled the world with, revisit the places they traveled to, and explore what's changed since they last visited. All as told by his friends. This week, we are joined by Ramsey Short. Ramsey is an award-winning writer and journalist, and he's sort of known as Bourdain's go-to Beirut guy. He was featured on three separate episodes of the show, uh, No Reservations and Parts Unknown. Very iconic and incredibly moving. I think just how important it was that Ramsey and Bourdain just helping take away the stigma of the Middle East and really uncovering a lot of the truth from that part of the world. Something Ramsey has mentioned over and over again and something we kind of absorbed from those episodes was that Bourdain featured Beirut and the Middle East as he saw it and not necessarily going based off of what the Western media was perpetuating at the time. Tony kept reiterating Mm -hmm. how special Beirut was to him, even Mm -hmm. though, as we know, he had some really tumultuous experiences there, like like in 2006. There we are on the balcony of my room, nervously emptying out the minibar, watching jet fuel cook off at the airport. You know, by now, people back home had gotten the idea that we're not doing a Beirut no reservations and that it would probably be a very good idea to get us the hell out of there as quickly as possible. The question being, well, how? You might remember one of Ramsey's more iconic appearances, which was during the 2006 No Reservations Beirut episode uh, where Beirut was being bombed and Bourdain and his crew were basically holed up in a hotel trying to get back to America. Especially because like in that moment, I think that completely changed you know, those cute little food travel TV shows. It gave us license to wander away from food a bit. We started to say, you know, it's sort of obscene. You know, we realized, look, we're, we're, we're in the storytelling business. We've heard it from Tony's perspective, and now that we get to hear it from Ramsey's perspective, and you know, how Tony was in those moments and everything. He did say, he was like, this is the episode that changed, changed my show. It got all of us thinking about a lot of things. You know, what's important in life? You know, I went home and made a baby with my wife. My then girlfriend, everything changed. It goes down in history as one of the most memorable episodes, and uh, Beirut goes down in history as one of, on record, Tony's Mm. favorite cities to visit. Ramsey is a super eloquent guy, an award-winning writer. He's written for publications like Condé Nast and Esquire, and in general has so much Beirut knowledge. Here we have Ramsey Short, a friend of Anthony Bourdain. Hey, Ramsey. We are super excited to talk to you today about your relationship with Anthony Bourdain, all things Beirut. To start things off, how did you meet Tony? And when was that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I met Tony in, I actually met him in 2006 for the first time when he actually arrived in Beirut. We had been in contact and I'd been in contact. In fact, I'd been in contact with his producers uh, setting up the show. To be fair, all I knew then was that some guy who made TV programs and was some kind of foodie uh, was turning up in, in Lebanon and we were going to hang out. I had absolutely no idea who Tony was or what kind of shows he did. I really didn't know what to expect at the time. And I hadn't actually done much sort of preparation on on Tony or no no reservations. So it was totally random. You know, we, we were a bit cynical at the time. A lot of people would come to Lebanon and want to, you know, talk about this or that or food or culture. And it always felt like a foreign reporter coming and being very um, judgmental and wanting to show this kind of either orientalist idea of, of the city or something sort of rather negative. So we were always very sort of um, suspicious at that point. Like people um, coming in with like a narrative in their head already with, you know, what they thought Beirut was, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, 100%. If you... Um, you know, all you need to do is look at various Hollywood TV shows mm. and, and movies and there are sort of depictions of Beirut that look nothing like Beirut at all and feature no one who would ever be in Beirut. So there are a lot of myths going around and, and often those things were sort of exaggerated and perpetuated yeah. uh, amongst Western media mm. uh, to a narrative they wanted it to. Of course, that was exactly what Tony didn't do. I was rewatching the 2006 episode. So that moment at the Sky Bar in Beirut when you... I think if I recall correctly, you guys like walk up to each other. It almost seems like you know, it was just like a chance encounter and you guys, you know, high five or whatever and go in yeah. for a hug. So that that moment that the camera caught, that was a genuine like first time meeting Tony. Yeah, that was wow. that was it. It was the first time. That's crazy. I hope yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like fascinating, first of all, to like have on camera just the second you meet someone. And uh and I was curious, like watching through that episode, you know, even though tensions were high and everything, eventually when everything was unfolding, do you recall like sort of maybe like a moment or maybe even just something that he said that just clicked to you like, oh shit, this guy's gonna be a friend. Like he's not just the, some dude I'm meeting for a show. He's gonna be a friend. You know, first of all, he was dressed kind of super casual, relaxed. And he, and 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 I remember we just, we just kind of had a look around, a bit of a laugh at the scene that we were in because mm -hmm. it felt a little bit absurd. He was just like, yeah, well, we've got a drink to this, right? And that was it. And we had a, we had a drink or two and just kind of chatted. And obviously what you see on the screen was not, we, we spent a lot, you know, more time hanging out there. Mm -hmm. There was just a kind of instant connection where he got me and I got him when he sort of talked about his initial experiences of of the city. It just felt very genuine and mm. authentic. And I think and think that was the key. So I was like, do you know what? Actually, there's a bit more to you. Let's do this. I love that because I think that he always went into those experiences and different cities, appreciating them and absorbing them at face value and not, you know, as this like tumultuous Middle Eastern mm. city well, with like all this- preconceived notions. Yeah, with all this unrest. And obviously that's what the media was saying at the time and continues to kind of push that narrative about the Middle East. What surprised you the most about Tony when you met him? Uh, just that he wasn't at all showbiz. He was totally himself. He couldn't be anything other than himself, you know? He wore his heart on his sleeve and uh, he was also completely authentic, never beat around the bush. He said what he saw. He wouldn't take any rubbish from mm -hmm. anyone. He wouldn't put up with any shit from anyone. And that was cool. And so you knew what you got mm -hmm. with him. 
And that's, you know, that's kind of a rare thing amongst, let's say, celebrity presenters. Mm. In the US, especially all around the world, really, everyone knew Tony as like, he's the bad boy of the culinary world. He he lives for, he's a rolling stone. So how did it feel? Because I think you described him that he was a little bit shy upon meeting him. How did you feel when he described you as like born to be wild, Ramsey Short? After I learned more about Tony and, and you know, we got to know each other and, and I watched a bunch of the shows, I was like, wow, that's, this is cool. This is, I've got um, Tony's seal of approval. Yeah. Not that I, uh, you know, would, would carry e- either either way, particularly for the kind of um, whatever kudos that might put upon me. I mean, it just felt, in a way, it was like a genuine compliment coming from a Mm. friend. I mean, we did some fun stuff and shared some crazy experiences. And so, you know, I could see why he might have uh, (laughs) thought that. What's the wildest thing you guys did together while filming or off camera? We traveled... We did, we did in the, in the second show, we did um, spend a lot of time together. We traveled through the Bacar Valley and uh, went to Baalbek and we did meet up with certain people who, um, that whole area is a kind of den of, there are areas there where a lot of uh, marijuana and other things are grown. <laughs> and uh, along the way on the journey, we, we did meet up with certain people who, um, we didn't do anything. We just mm. met up with certain people who were um, what you might consider kind of cartel oh. and uh, <laughs> okay. had conversations with them. And none of that uh, came on, came on, on, on camera, but that, that was quite, uh, quite mad and eye opening. And of course we ate so yeah. much and we got drunk quite a few times together. And uh, he didn't really sort of get so drunk on 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 camera he tried not to do that sort of thing sometimes he did that did happen with us uh, on camera we we did that a lot and he had a you know penchant for for arak which is a kind of lebanese version of, of pastis uh, or uzo we did sort of spend a lot of time drinking that and kind of shooting the shit together but actually you know at the same time it was very tame as well mm. i'd like to say we did lots and lots of naughty things but um <laughs> or were you the bad influence in this whole time you had us all fooled <laughs> tony was the bad boy you know <laughs> i mean when he met me in 2006 I, I certainly was 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 a bit and then we kind of had to sober up considering what happened in 2010 and and beyond it was me who hooked him up with with mm. the with the harley davidson gang and so they they were they were quite amusing the most yeah. iconic opening scene i was gonna say what harley a star Want to travel the world like Anthony Bourdain? This episode of Friends of Anthony Bourdain is sponsored by Monos. Monos is an award-winning travel and lifestyle brand that makes timeless premium goods for the mindful traveler. Their collection of luggage, bags, clothing, and accessories is designed with intention, crafted with care, and made to last. Bourdain famously said, travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart. But that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. Modus designs their products with a mindful traveler in mind, those who journey with an open heart and open mind, those who believe in being receptive to other cultures and other people, and also being open and receptive to the moment that's right in front of them, those who choose to explore places near and far with wonder and curiosity, with gratitude and graciousness. Monos is inviting listeners of the Friends of Bourdain podcast to learn more about their story and experience their collection of premium travel goods firsthand and for a limited time are offering 15% off your purchase at monos.com using the code Bourdain15. Watching the episodes, Beirut, like all the other all the shows and everything, I feel like you notice a duality with Tony where, you know, he's this badass guy, he's cool as fuck, 
but also vulnerable. And, you know, you can kind of see when he feels a little shy or timid on camera. And there's like moments that you can pick up. So I kind of want to hear more about that sort of side, you know, the one that might not be publicized as much. Look, when he wasn't sort of filming or, or working, he would spend a lot of time on his own, you know, reading uh, and writing. And obviously, you know, he produced a lot of words during the whole periods he was he was working. But he was very, um, you know, quite introspective and and would spend time, you know, focusing on his on his own stuff. I think, uh, you know, part of that was that he could never quite believe that you know this guy, former junkie, working mm. in a restaurant, hard graft, suddenly had become this global superstar. He he loved it; it was amazing, but it also kind of weighed heavily on him you know why me why am i doing this what's so special he could never he was always humble when it came to that that was certainly something and you know he did he liked to do his own thing but i mean we would also talk often about our daughters because mm. they came about my uh partner at the time was pregnant in 2006 at the time we, we were filming and he um came back famously from lebanon and you know got pregnant with his with his wife so we had a, this connection of, of our daughters who are a similar age. And so we would often talk about that, you know, separately and, and, and how they were growing up and that kind of thing. And he was fully attentive, you know, to that. This was a side you never really saw mm. in, in the shows uh, in, or his on-screen personality. But he was a super tender mm. uh, father and man and really concerned with other people's well-being, working together on the shows with the crew he was always the one who sort of, you know, got everyone together and, you know, off camera, super kind, super yeah. generous, you know, super friendly, just just an amazing, amazing person. Now, and I was going to say how special that must be to, you know, you, you meet this guy and clearly you guys hit it off. You have this, all these similarities, you know, lifestyle and whatnot. You don't often make good friends later in life. Best friends, probably the ones you've known forever. You meet other people and you have kind of moments, but it's not often that you can get, find those real connections. You know, I was amazed that that, that happened. And I was curious, do you talk to your daughter a lot about, you know, your friend, Tony? Like, do you tell her about, you know, what you can tell her at her age? If you do, you know, how would you describe Tony to your daughter? I'm very curious to hear that. Well, she's 16 now and, and pretty old for 16. So um, yeah, we can talk about most things. I mean, I've talked to her about him and she's obviously seen the episodes. In general, I would describe to her, you know, a person who could be there when needed and offer sort of great advice would tell it to you straight. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are traits that I think would do anyone you know, a lot of good uh, characteristics that you could have. And so, yeah, I, I speak to her in, in, in that way and, you know, and suggest that, you know, this guy, there's someone you can learn from who sort of bore the weight of a lot of things on his shoulders, but who could still um, be a genuine uh, person and, and, and honest. You know, I think honesty is probably the best uh, characteristic yeah. that any of us can have. And we don't always get it right, but, mm -hmm. you know, when you do, it creates much better relationships with, with, with everyone around you. Something I think about a lot, I don't have children, but Bourdain talked a lot about having a kid and also simultaneously, you know, having a child at the same time as you. I'm sure that calls into question, you know, how you raise your child and what you want them to understand about the world and how you want them to retain culture. I know that you now live in London. Did you think a lot about how you wanted to raise your daughter with Lebanese culture and what aspects of the culture you really hoped that she would retain? Absolutely. Whenever you have different backgrounds, you know, one of the key things is is language. 
And, you know, you don't really ever understand a nation or, or a culture if you don't speak the language. And, and I'm not saying I'm uh, uh, great at that. I'm, I'm certainly not. I have some Arabic by no means as expert as, as I should be. You know, when you speak the language, you understand the jokes. You know, when you understand the jokes, you can understand the people. Mm. Tony was always aware of that. And so I was certainly trying to give that to my daughter and, and she's pretty good at at languages but also you know there's there's the music there is the uh the food obviously a big thing you know and all of these things come together and, and you can find that in in any culture it's it's grandma's cooking mm. or it's people coming together to eat uh and it's it's ritual these kind of things are, are absolutely the sort of thing i will give to her and sort of encourage her to sort of follow uh and be aware of A lot of our listeners have been inspired by Anthony Bourdain to travel often. They're often on the go. If you're traveling, staying in a lot of hotels, taking chances with new foods in new places, which I love to do, it's easy to neglect your normal routines, especially when it comes to your health. Exactly. And that's why it's really important for us to address health and wellness on this podcast. So our next partner is Athletic Greens. AG1 by Athletic Greens is a nutritional drink that offers you a healthy routine, especially if you're constantly on the go. And honestly, I love the taste of AG1 by Athletic Greens, and I love the simplicity of it. The simplicity is perfect for travelers. I love how I feel throughout the day after having a glass of AG1 by Athletic Greens after I wake up in the morning. I really do feel energized and ready to get things done. You need to try it out for yourself. Why take a bunch of different capsules and supplements when you can just mix one scoop of powder into water? Once a day, why not do that? Exactly. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails, which we love. Athletic Greens is giving our listeners a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Bourdain. That's B-O-U-R-D-A-I-N. That's athleticgreens.com slash Bourdain. Be sure to check it out. In the episodes, the three episodes that we got to see in Beirut, seeing the more traditional side and then, you know, seeing like the struggle, the struggling side, but also seeing uh, they mention they compare, you know, a certain part in Beirut, like it's Brooklyn, you know, like the neck beard and the slam yeah. poetry and everything. And it's just fascinating, especially because, I mean, Tony did such an incredible job of showing to the world, you know, what you hear on the news is not what all a city is. Post-COVID, you know, because we got to see in the episodes, the struggles, the bombing in the airport, and Tony having mm -hmm. to evacuate with his team. But now with global struggle of, like, COVID, how is Beirut doing, if you know, how the city's doing, the culture, like, thriving, food, everything? Have things shifted with COVID? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think COVID has been a major, major thing over there in particular. I mean, the vaccines were rolled out and, and they worked pretty well. You know, Lebanon suffers from from a lot more, many other serious, I don't argue, almost more serious mm -hmm. problems. Logistically, you know, it's on political fault lines. Financially, it is, it's a bit like Venezuela, massive Ponzi scheme going on from top level central bank. And, you know, it fell apart. And now, you know, a lot of people are struggling, you know, money lost, savings lost. It's really, really hard. I think Lebanon, it is certainly in, in a difficult and, and different position now than it was certainly in, in, in 2006, pre pre the war those were probably you know really good years now it is it's difficult times a lot of people who can have tried to leave uh, and build lives elsewhere 
there's still uh, obviously a core of, of, of people and artists and, and musicians, of course, people doing things, but it has become a lot more difficult. That speaks to also the global sort of recession yeah. and cost of living crisis that's going on. Does the city still have that air of that partying, mm. lighthearted, um, like we will, through the yeah, struggle. like we'll still have fun and enjoy our lives. I guess something that struck me about all the episodes is, yeah. you know, I, I feel like in cities and places where you are confronted with the concept of life and death more often than the average person and where you are confronted with like the inequities of the world. A lot mm -hmm. of those people tend to be the ones that are the more happy-go-lucky, the more appreciative of positive. and the partying scenes in Beirut really remind me of that. Is there still that feeling and that energy of like, we're going to party through this or we're going to, you know, we're going to have fun through this as much as we can? There is still that energy, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of resignation uh, at the moment. And I, Think that's primarily because you know there have been a lot of street protests there's been a lot of calls for change and nothing seems to to work mm. there's nothing that really pushes you know political change has not come mm. and that's really really a, a difficult thing for a lot of people to stomach especially young people young generation you know they want to create they want to build things and it's really difficult to build things in in beirut of course there is still a party scene mm. And there is still the urge to live, mm -hmm. you know, and it is a place where you where you can live, um, you know, where the food is still good and the music's still good and, you know, the drink's still good. Mm. So all of that, you know, is still there, but some major catastrophic things happened. And I would say it's been a lot more difficult to get that sort of vibe back, you know, in particular, the, the, the port explosion of 2020 was was really hard to take. And, and like you mentioned, like people still have that longing, you know, for good drink, good food, mm -hmm. good music and creativity and everything. But with these struggles, like, do you know if a lot of the spots, a lot of the restaurants featured in those episodes, are they like still around? If you've gone back, do you have any other like yeah. recommendations of good places? You know, what is a dish that you would say really describes Lebanon and or Beirut in specifically? Well, there are a lot of a lot of those places that were in the episodes are not there. Many mm. of them are still there. But Lebanon is a place where there's always new places opening up. There'll never be a lack of lack of that. In terms of food, it would be really hard to sort of focus on one particular dish. There's so many. There's something called kibbi Lebanese, mm. which is uh, kibbe, which are sort of little balls of rice and meat soaked in sort of hot yogurt, almost like uh, a soup. Delicious. There's all the traditional staples, the meze, the grills, the the sort of dips, the salads, mm. tabbouli, for example. You know, every Middle Eastern country does its tabbouli slightly differently, but Lebanese tabbouli is just divine and a dish that sort of, you know, can be fresh, concocted anywhere by anyone and, and is just super, super delicious. Um, there are so many more. Like, yeah. I could literally go on for hours. I but... was dying to try the kibinaya, the mm. like the raw lamb yeah. dish. Yeah. That looked so, I was just like salivating. And Bourdain, I think, described it. Like, he said it was like the single best thing he tartar had. that you could get. Yeah. Let's say you were to hop off the plane in Beirut today, political things aside, what would be the first spot you'd visit? To eat. Yeah. Um, you know what? There's a lovely Armenian restaurant that we visited called Onno in Burj Hamoud. And the Armenian Lebanese food is, is Lebanese food, but with little sort of, additions like like a cherry sauce with with the lamb so many things that, that are so good that place is definitely feels local mm -hmm. and is local 
but the food is exquisite. Probably there. Could you remind me again? I, I forget the name, the, that drink where you add water and it's like this beautiful, like almost oh. magical looking milky, you know, yeah. appearance to it. Uh, can you remind me? The, what was that drink? Called Arak. 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 That's like the one thing I know I would hate. Oh, really? Oh, cause <laughs> because he, I hate black licorice and they kept drinking it. I I remember when I was in Israel, we had Uzo or something. Uzo, and yeah. I, I remember someone yeah. just gave me a shot of something and I assumed it was vodka. And I was like, this is... No offense, awful. I yeah. I'm gonna have it. to find that in the states because I've tried ouzo. I like the you know fennel, like sambuca. Oh, can't. Oh, love it. I'm gonna have to try some of that because I remember watching it. I was like, what is this incredible concoction? Yeah. I'm sure you can find it in the states, but um, you know, try perno pastis, and and the thing is, you you drink it with water mm. and with food. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a drink really to be drunk with with food. With food. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's when it I works. would try it. I, I would best. definitely try it. We'll be perfectly clear. No one would have ever associated Anthony Bourdain with a vegan lifestyle. And he was definitely also not known for being a health conscious chef. Right, he certainly did not maintain a plant-based diet. But, and there's a huge but here, he did have a true passion for all things ingredients, sourcing, freshness, and how things are made. That's why we wanted to partner with Sakara for this podcast. Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. The ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And on top of all of the nutritional benefits, their food just simply tastes really good. Yeah, it's fresh and tastes unlike any other at-your-door meal. I feel like Sakara's food could really be suitable for any diet or lifestyle. I'm not vegan and I love it. It's just good food. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Bourdain or enter code Bourdain at checkout. This is really an awesome deal. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash Bourdain to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash B-O-U-R-D-A-I-N. Again, Sakara dot com slash Bourdain. You know, you had the the amazing privilege of knowing Tony for so many years. What would you say is his lasting personal legacy on you? And how has he changed the way you travel and view the world? And, you know, what, what parts of him do you keep with you? Oh, it's so, so hard because I really miss him. And uh, it's just so devastating what happened. You know, it's such a tough thing. Like I mentioned before, his honesty, his authenticity, his genuineness and his kindness and openness to to anyone he met. He would not judge you. He would meet people and not judge them at all. Obviously, if you turn out to be an idiot or say <laughs> dumb things, he would be very clear. But I mean, the point is there was no sort of categorizing. And, and I think when you travel, that's a really, really key thing to remember. You know, mm -hmm. we are all as complicated you know, as we perceive ourselves to be. And, you know, everyone has the same experiences. They eat at dinner, they have fights with their siblings, they have historic families, you know, traditions, everything. They worry about the same things, putting food on the table, healthcare, politics, whatever it is. And that is something, you know, if you, if you keep that in mind when you meet people, 
you know, you will not go in there with sort of pretensions and, mm. and feeling like you are better. Mm. And, and I think that's one thing, you know, that made him so successful and the show's so successful. He was never, he never came across or no one ever felt that he thought he was better than than them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I'd take away and, and you know, and, and keep with me uh, that I definitely took from him and something that I you know, sort of keep in mind every mm. time I travel anywhere. You know? I mean, and to enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Enjoy the experience. You know, what are you doing? If you're going and you're doing it, you're doing it. Well, that, that, Don't I worry think, about what you're not doing. I think that was a beautiful thing about the show too, where it's like on paper, it's a food travel show. But a lot of the episodes, you're like, the food's not the main focus and the connection with the people and with the city and, you know, everything that comes with that. Incredible guy. And if you could describe him in just one word, I'm very curious to hear what that one singular word would be. You know what? Why don't we go back to what you said at the beginning? Um, I think badass is a kind of perfect description, but, you know, badass in the best way. Mm-hmm. You know, he was genuine, real, good, strong, encouraging. That's what made him badass, not the fact that he was famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the fact that he was on TV that stuff the fact that he knew because he got famous in his 40s he'd been a chef and he'd been like a a dishwasher Mm -hmm. in a restaurant you know and knew what the hard craft was all about that's what made him badass as such I love that Um, like a true badass not someone who was just kind Uh, of pretending to be badass you know and the shows reflected that uh you know, especially as they progressed. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was a lot more about food, and then it became a lot more about, you know, the people he met and the connections he made with food as part of it. And, and speaking of, like, the connections they made, like, when he met you, something I found very endearing was the specific greeting that he had with you that he said that every time you guys met, he had that greeting. Yeah, it was like, hey, Ramsey Short. <laughs> You know, in, in his perfect accent, and and it was great. And I was just like, "Yeah, man, it's wicked, nice to see you, excellent." You know, and we'd always have a hug, and uh, it was big compared to me. Yeah. He's much taller than me, and I'd just be like, kind of squashed in there. It was great, and yeah, entirely endearing and wonderful. I read some of your writing, and I, one of that stood out was bromance. You had uh, one of your pieces, and and I was reading that, and I was curious, like, like were you thinking about Tony while you were writing that? I know that you mentioned some past friends and stuff, and that piece titled bromance but i just thought it was a very important piece i had written I, i've written a lot of stories i did write a piece about yeah about yeah. male bromance, basically about friends and and yeah tony certainly came into that mm-hmm. I, I didn't mention him but he certainly came came into my thinking when i was when i was writing that piece it's something that 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 we forget often uh men only show their emotions with other men you mm-hmm. know if they're at, if they're at a ball game crying and shouting and oh they scored everyone hugs you know but <laughs> unlike uh, women who are much more able to do that yeah they emote easily. that uh-huh yeah no i, I remember know, reading well, that i was like number one this is an important piece i think all young men should read it number two i figured that you <laughs> thought of uh you know tony and yeah no i just uh it's great stuff and and when i read the you know like the hey ramsey short i just remember thinking like ah oh, that reminded me of that piece of writing and it's a beautiful yeah thing. Oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. It's very kind. Something that I wonder really frequently when someone larger than life passes away, how their close friends and family kind of find out about that and what that's like. Where were you when you found out about mm. Tony's passing and what did that feel like? Yeah, I was actually in um, 
Austria. I was kind of hiking in a mountainous area in, in Carinthia, in a, in a region of Austria. Suddenly I got, I, I was with a friend. We still had mobile signal and whatever. So, you know, as you do, you get kind of alerts or you look on your phone and this note came up and I was just like, this is a joke, right? You know, I, you know, and I was kind of glad that I was not around other people, you know, and I was in nature and outside and I could just sit down and, and stop Anyone, I think, who loses someone by suicide is going to be devastated. And it doesn't matter if they're famous or not famous. It's just a really, really, really difficult thing to bear. And, you know, you always say the same thing. Should I have noticed something? Should I have mm. called out? Should I have, is there something I missed? You know, there are no simple answers. I think for me, I was... You know, I had a, I had a cry. I had a, I was going, what's going on? What's happened? And checking, checking, checking. Um, and it was just all a kind of blur, a kind of flurry of, of feelings and emotions. And it's always like, why, why does it have to be them? You mm -hmm. know, why did it have to be him? Why did the world or anyone else have to take this person away? Mm -hmm. um, when you know. They really had so much, did so much good, had so much value. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It was horrible. It was hard to, to bear. And and I often think about it and, and think about him. It doesn't go away. You have to, you know, I think it teaches you, these things teach you. And, you know, when you lose anyone in any way, you know, you have to be, when you go through anything, you have to be, you know, the one thing we need and we have in life is is, is resilience. We need to learn this and sort of give that to our, to our kids and anyone else because, uh, and maybe I think Tony saw this, you know, life, can be you know it's not we grow up and we think it's all disney and happiness but mm. actually it's really not and and the the reality is it's more difficult than we think and hard things are going to happen to us and how we handle those things is, is going to help us or, or is going to sort of rule whether we sort of survive and succeed or not and we've just got to face them his entire show and all the all the all the shows that he put out kind of almost had that theme like it was the good mixed with the bad and it was never these like fluff pieces and like here's the most amazing pasta in Italy it was also like this is what life is like in Congo right now and in Haiti mm -hmm. and I think that he did such a good job of representing the beautiful aspects of life that kind of coexist simultaneously with like the really dark aspects and the fact that he wanted to release the, that initial 2006 Beirut episode Instead of like, you know what, cut it, scrap it. He didn't like, want to glaze over yeah, that, yeah. which I, I loved. And I think that, I think, I mean, Fab, I guess I can speak for both of us when I say it's so exciting for us to be part of this project because that is exactly what this feels like. Um, he's left a lot of legacy through mm -hmm. people like yourself. And we're just so proud and honored to be able to be a part of the ongoing legacy of Bourdain. Thank you so much yeah. for giving us some of your precious time. Um, and you were you were just such an iconic guest throughout all the seasons. True yeah. honor to be able to speak with you. Because <laughs> we definitely consider ourselves people that love Bourdain. We love his work. We feel mm -hmm. like he's affected us in our lives. So it's truly an honor to be able to talk to someone that actually got to meet him firsthand. And it's very kind of you. And honestly, it's been it's you know I'm happy to talk about him. It's been a pleasure to um, to speak with you and share these uh, moments. Um, 
you know, I'm sure there's so much more I, I could say. Obviously, hard to squeeze in. Is there anything else that you want to say or you want people to know? Or- yeah, to treat everyone with love. May not have always come across, but he uh, he did that. Be honest and, and genuine. I think that's a key because you can't, if people uh, lie to you or don't show you their, their, their true selves, you, you can't, anything that you act or react to, with them will not be based on on truth. And so will be kind of fraudulent from the beginning. Yeah, that honesty and authenticity is probably the, the, the main thing that I think we should remember. And, and yeah, to be kind. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of Anthony Bourdain. Friends of Anthony Bourdain is produced by Haley Drazen of Hey Now Media and Brandon Brown. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow along on Instagram and TikTok at Friends of Anthony Bourdain. And don't forget to visit friendsofanthonybourdain.com.